Let me ask you something. What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? That would probably creep you out. Well, that's exactly what happens every time you go online. Your internet provider stores logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. Worse yet, the government can obtain your data via bulk FISA order, even if you're not personally suspected of any crime. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash mullen right now and find out how you can get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mullen. Protect your data and get three months for free today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen talks freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Got quite a few interesting things to share with you today, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, the presidential elections next year, as well as an, an interesting interview I saw this morning on Twitter. And uh, ultimately, talk a little bit about being in our own bubbles and how that can skew our perception of public opinion. So the first thing I I guess I'll I'll talk about is uh, I did see the interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene on uh, Twitter, uh, interviewed by Tucker Carlson. And I really find all of those interviews with Tucker Carlson fascinating. I think he's doing great work. Now, you know, I have a lot of problems with Tucker Carlson's views. Uh, not all of them. And the anti-war view, of course, I'm, I'm holding hands with him. And kudos to him because he never ceases, uh, never shies away from admitting how wrong he was to support the Iraq war and the empire's foreign policy in general uh, early, earlier in this century. And uh, good for him. Uh, good for him on um, admitting he was wrong about that. And uh, I think he really does say what he believes. I think some of the things he believes are wrong, but um, I think he's, he seems to be an honest guy. And uh, that's what people connect, uh, why people connect to him uh, so much, in my opinion. So he interviews Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I, I hadn't really paid that much of attention to her any more than I would see the news clips where she was doing something uh, somewhat, you know, portrayed as outrageous or, uh, you know, yelling in the Congress at, uh, I can't remember if that was at Joe Biden, I assume it was because she was only elected in 2020, and of course she was a Trump supporter. And I knew she was super MAGA. And I knew that uh, the establishment hated her uh, almost as much as they hate Donald Trump. So I figured there's got to be something good about her. And I went to Wikipedia, actually, to just look up, you know, what are her views exactly? Because there is some play with the the um, the MAGA crowd on on what they actually support and don't. Most of it's pretty much lockstep mercantilist uh, economics. Um, 
you know, a very tough immigration policy and uh, supposedly anti-war, you know, until this Israel thing. So I went to her Wikipedia page just to kind of refresh myself on exactly where she stood and on the MAGA spectrum. And here's what I find. Marjorie Taylor Greene, and her gives her birth date, also known by her initials MTG, is an American far-right politician, businesswoman, and conspiracy theorist who has been the U.S. representative for Georgia's 14th congressional district since 2021. A member of the Republican Party, she was elected to Congress in 2020 following the retirement of Republican incumbent Tom Graves and re-elected in 2022. Green has promoted anti-Semitic, white supremacist, and far-right conspiracy theories, including the white genocide conspiracy theory, QAnon, and Pizzagate. Other extremist conspiracy theories she has promoted promoted include government involvement in mass shootings in the United States, baseless allegations of murder against the Clinton family, and 9-11 conspiracy theories. And then it goes on. That paragraph keeps going. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's basically more of the same. And of course, I employed my rule that anyone who starts out that way obviously is trying, this person must have something valuable to say (laughs) that somebody doesn't want me to hear, or we wouldn't be hearing all these things. And if you're using any of these terms, if you use the word far right uh, for anybody in uh, the United States, or anti-Semitic, or white supremacist, or any of these pejoratives, um, let me just tell you that I immediately now want to know more about this person. I was thinking about just moving on and not listening to 24 minutes or whatever it was of Tucker Carlson talking to this person, but as soon as I read this, this Wikipedia smear piece, I thought, well, I better go and check her out, and I was very pleasantly surprised at what I heard. Of course, I didn't hear anything to do with any of the the subjects that this Wikipedia uh, accuses her of. And maybe she has said some crazy crap. I don't know. Uh, it's not like there's nobody who isn't for the Ukraine war, was all on board with COVID uh, uh, vaccine mandates and lockdowns and the rest of the, of the crime against humanity in 2020 and 2021. It's not like none of them... Uh, promote any any crazy theories besides the ones I just named. But of course, you never hear about any of that because they're on board with the empire. So if you're on board with the empire, I guess you're not far right and uh, you're not a white supremacist. Even if you are a white supremacist, uh, as long as you're on board, uh, you don't get called those things. So anyway, uh, Tucker did the interview and what came out of it was this, was basically her experience of Congress. And I know everyone claims to be an outsider. It sounds like she is somewhat the real deal on that. Donald Trump certainly was not. Um, but uh, but she sounds like she is. And she kind of said, after being in there for a couple of years, she kind of confirmed everything that we um, always suspected, that these people don't just not care about us everybody else, the people they supposedly represent, but they actually hold us in contempt and they look down on us as inferiors. And she was talking about mainly her Republican colleagues, the ones that got elected on this MAGA platform. Now, you know, 
like the whole mercantilist economic part of it, I don't agree with. Um, and uh, but but the people who voted those people in do agree with that. And I want to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But these basically what she said to Tucker Carlson was that these people had never had any intention of governing that way. They tell these people what they want to hear to get into office because being a Congress critter is a very, very nice life for somebody who produces absolutely nothing. They get to live the way, if not billionaires, at least multimillionaires live, and most of them become multimillionaires in, co- in Congress. Don't ask me how on $170,000 a year uh, and having to maintain two households, but they do. Um, but they, they get to live a lifestyle that only somebody who was highly, highly productive in the private sector could live. And of course, they get that lifestyle in return for making everything worse. Like we could pay them that 170000 and all the graft that they accumulate while they were in there. And we'd be better off if they just stayed home and did nothing. We'd be better off even paying them. I'd I'd pay them twice that much to stay home and do nothing. Uh, we would save trillions overall on the federal budget. But uh, basically, she said that that none of these, uh, there's very few, very few people in there who believe in the platforms that they run on. Uh, they kind of consider the great unwashed out here inferiors, and they do what they want. And they're not interested at all in opposing the Democrats. And of course, you know, she doesn't like the Democrats at all either. She just thinks they're pure evil. And, you know, that's that's pretty true. Um, and and that the Republican Party is basically useless as opposition to it. So confirmed everything we knew. One of the most interesting parts of the interview, and it kind of relates to both the title of and my comments at the beginning of this podcast uh, was uh, what she said about Nikki Haley and her campaign for president. Now, right now, Nikki Haley is polling at about 7%, a couple points behind Ron DeSantis, who's at 9 And then Donald Trump is, I can't remember if he's in the 50s or the high 40s. He's way, way out in front so that if the polls make any difference, then, of course, you know, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis don't make a difference. But um, number one, um, Tucker Carlson asked Marjorie Taylor Greene what what she thought of Nikki Haley. And of course, she's, you know, dead set against her. Nikki Haley being the most odious uh, neocon alive. I'm telling you, Bill Crystal is refreshing to listen to after you listen to Nikki Haley for five minutes, if you've ever had to put yourself through that, she is just the worst. I really think she's evil to the core. Um, Some of the disclosures or allegations Vivek Ramaswamy has made against her, um, you know, I, I, I suspect are probably true. Um, So that she's, that she's knee deep in corruption, uh, has has been a board member of um, I can't remember if it was Boeing or Lockheed Martin, one of the you know big huge uh, military industrial complex contractors, uh, otherwise known as the Merchants of Death. 
but really since she, um, well, I, I knew somewhat of her as a, uh, governor of South Carolina from which the worst politicians have come in our lifetime, by the way, I don't know what you guys are doing down there. Those of you listening from South Carolina, but really Lindsey Graham and, and Nikki Haley, Nimrata Haley, let's call her by her real name, by the way. I don't think she likes that. Um, you know, Nikki Haley's her stage name to make her sound more American, although she was born in the United States. And I, I shouldn't pick on her just because she has an ethnic name, um, being half Lebanese and a person of color myself, at least according to the NFL. But I really and, and of course, in North Carolina, she went along with the whole removing the Confederate flag or statues or, or something, which you know, not knowing anything about her and had never even heard her speak. I saw a quote from her in the newspaper that seemed pretty reasonable. She said, well, we took it away from from this part of the uh, square. and We put it over here somewhere where it was more appropriate. But just the fact that she's on board with all that, um, you know, that should have been a red flag. And then once I heard her as ambassador to the U.N., it was just like th- this is this is the most awful person in Washington, and that's saying something. And uh, really, the the idea I I thought about this after while she was working for Trump, this person is going to have a shot at the presidency someday. And I know it seems like a long shot now. And um, what what Tucker Carlson asked Marjorie Green is okay. So, um, what are your fellow Republican Congress? Uh, representatives think of Nikki Haley and she basically said they all love her. Of course they do. She's a neocon. She's, you know, on board with the empire and secretly uh, all of them are as well. I mean, of course I'm excluding Thomas Massey and, and maybe a handful that you could count on one hand. And even some of the ones that sound somewhat libertarian, you're going to find out they're awful on a lot of this stuff too. But for the most part, she if, if Congress could elect the president, she would be the next president. Or if I should say the Republican Congress could elect the next president, she would be president. Um, and if that doesn't scare you, let me say even uh, go one step further. And that is that after Tucker asked Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, what is what does the congressman think of uh, Nikki Haley? He said, well, what do the voters think of her? And, of course, she said that they're very negative on her, dead set against her. But I don't think that's true. I mean, again, she's not polling very high because everyone's voting for Trump. But if they were able to get Trump out of the way with these legal issues, now, they can't stop the people from electing him. They can stop uh, him from taking office. So if he is, is convicted of a felony, he's not allowed to hold public office so he could actually win the election and then not be able to be sworn in. I'm pretty sure that that's uh, a solid uh, legal um, analysis. Any lawyers out there, feel free to write me and I'll, I'll correct that on the next podcast if that's not right. But I mean, obviously they can't stop people from writing in his name, even if they took him off the ballot. And then I don't know what shenanigans in each state they could pull to try and not count him, even though his name is written on the ballot. I don't, I don't know. But if the people can elect him, but then they can keep him from holding office, even though he was elected. So that, that would get very ugly, obviously. 
Um, I don't know if he's going to be convicted. Um, I would think he will be just because the legal system is there to convict people. It's not there to, to find the truth or, or anything else. And uh, federal courts have like something like a 95% conviction rate. So um, if they want to convict him, and certainly they can find a jury or rig a jury to do it, um, then that's going to keep him from holding office. I, I just don't. And I think that there's a lot of people who might otherwise vote for him that also might not vote for him because of that, because they think that's, you know, no matter how ridiculous the charges look, they, they think that that's uh, something they should consider. But uh, where I'm going with all this is, you know, you shouldn't consider it, you know, just impossible that she could be the nominee for the Republican Party. We're still a long ways away from the election, almost a year from when the nominee will be chosen. And of course, we're about well, just a little less than a year out from the election. And I should remind you where Joe Biden was at the beginning of the Democratic primaries in 2020 and how outlandish it should have seemed to anybody just observing his, his mental condition. The fact that, I mean, Joe Biden was a joke in the 1980s when he first ran for president. He used to be like the punchline. It was almost like his role in the electoral process was comic relief. I mean, he, he wasn't any less um, idiotic back then. He, he, he actually, he seemed dumber because, you know, he was lucid and, and, you know, he could string a sentence together. So the idiotic things he said seemed even funnier back then. Now, you know, you, you got a little sympathy for the guy. He's got dementia or the early stages of it. But he ended up not only being the nominee, but supposedly getting 81 million votes, the most votes by far of any presidential candidate in history. Um, so I wouldn't count Nimarada out uh, if they could get her in there. If the empire could make her the Democratic nominee, they would in a heartbeat. And I guess the, uh, the lead that I've buried here is don't think that many, many of your friends and neighbors wouldn't vote for her. I mean, I see people that I know on Facebook singing her praises all the time. And you got to think like how the public usually votes. So we have this small group of people who actually know what these people stand for. Um, you'll have, you know, this whole section of nitwit women that'll, that'll vote for her because she's a strong woman and, and attack anybody who thinks she's, you know, the most evil person alive, which she is, um, you know, just because she's a strong woman, you got that whole contingent. You have the whole group of people who just make, you know, their voting decisions based on very superficial reasons. Now, I know that's more general election stuff than it is primary, but still, you know, just uh, what do I think of this person? Do they seem, um, you know, superficially to be someone who would, you know, be trustworthy or whatever? So, um, and, and, you know, for all those people who don't know who their own congressman is and, and whatever, I, I don't, you know, automatically disparage them as being dimwits or anything like that. You know, it's almost like when Gary Johnson didn't know where Aleppo was, 
And that was a good thing for me. Okay. I want to, I want a president who doesn't know where Aleppo is because there's no reason to know where Aleppo is in Syria other than to, to be up to no good in Aleppo. Okay. We, there's no, there's no reason a president of the United States has to know where every city and every foreign country is, is because it's, we're, we're certainly not over there doing any good. And, uh, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather get a president who couldn't even find Aleppo, uh, even if he wanted to, that would, that we would all be better off with that president than we would with, uh, the John McCain's of the world or the Nikki Haley's, but I repeat myself. And you'll also notice that uh, Nikki Haley is saying some rather libertarian things on domestic policy. Um, And this reminds me so much of George W. Bush. I remember his campaign very well. And um, he said a lot of really great things. I mean, he said he was talking about privatizing Social Security. Now, it should just be abolished outright. Um, But uh, privatizing it would be better. Other countries have done it with great success, by the way. And, you know, his plan would be that, you know, unfortunately, you'd be forced to pay into an account, but the account would be in your name. It would be your money. So it really would be your money as opposed to what Social Security is right now, where you pay your money today and they spend 100% of it today, as soon as you pay it. And now it's all going towards current uh, beneficiaries. There was a time when the program ran a surplus. Most of my life it ran a surplus up until about 10 years ago. And, um, But even then, they spent the surplus too, okay? So there was never the case that they were saving any money, ever. They spent it all the minute you paid right from the 1930s on. And then what they would do with the surplus is they'd spend the money and then they would put their own bond into the the, um, so-called trust fund. Well, what's what's a government bond? It's It's just a promise to pay you later by collecting taxes, from you and others later to, to pay you back. It's such a scam. I can't even believe that, that I, well, I can believe, obviously. Look at the people they elect. So, um, yes, I do believe most people fall for it, but it is the most transparent of scams. Um, so, anyway, um, Bush wanted to privatize it, which would have been better, but not, not ideal. And uh, he wanted to do a lot of things. He was against uh, hate crime legislation. Yeah, of course you should be against hate crime legislation. Uh, This is policing people's thoughts. Okay, if you murder somebody, you should be charged with murder. It shouldn't matter, you know, other than if you believe truly you were acting in self-defense, that is the only state of mind that should matter. Or if you're obviously out of your mind, then um, of course there's provisions for that. But um, so he, I, he, there was a lot of things that maybe a libertarian might agree with George Bush uh, during the campaign, except the one thing that was very clear is he was going to war with Saddam Hussein. And I remember distinctly on 9-11, at about 11 o'clock in the morning, I was seeing the, um, the, the film or the, yeah, the, the television coverage, and they were replaying the f- planes flying into the building. And I said to uh, the person next to me, uh, Bush will be in Iraq within a year. It was the first thing I said while I was watching the coverage of the planes in the buildings. Bush will be in uh, Iraq within a year. 
I was off by like six months or something like that. But but of course he went in there uh, to a country that had nothing to do with it. Um, but I knew he was going into Iraq. He was just waiting for a, an excuse to go into Iraq. Uh, anybody with a brain and two ears that worked should have known that after they watched his campaign. And it's funny because the second thing I said, I still remember this like it was yesterday, was people are going to say that the government did this, um, that the government was behind this attack. That was the second thing I said. I didn't say I believe that. I just said a lot of people are going to say that. So, um, hey, your boy here was two for two on on 9-11. I mean, and I'm talking within seconds of seeing the footage. So in any case, Nikki Haley is doing a lot of the same things that George Bush did. She's a neocon. She'll say a lot of nice, pretty, libertarian-sounding things on domestic policy. She's a complete hawk on foreign policy. She doesn't mean any of the domestic things, just like George Bush did not make you know America's markets any freer. In fact, he invoked the evil FDR when uh, he pa- he signed Sarbanes uh, Oxley, saying it's the most uh, dramatic uh, financial regulation reform since uh, the days of FDR, something like that. Um, so yeah, he he increased regulation, he uh, doubled spending, just about I think it went up about eighty percent while he was in office. Um, and so he made the government much bigger. He started two terrible wars with people who never attacked us. Um, yeah, he was, he was awful. And Nikki Haley is shaping up to be even worse. And uh, I know this isn't politically correct, but, you know, who cares? Uh, I think it's even worse with a woman because when you have a woman, and this goes for Hillary Clinton too, they have this extra... Um, impetus to be even more hawkish to kind of overcome the idea that they're too soft or something like that. And, you know, that's whatever. I I get that. I got that from Hillary Clinton. I get it from Nikki Haley. I mean, she is just the worst. I have to try to contain, I, I don't usually hate these people personally, and I, I have to try and not hate Nikki Haley on a personal level, but it's very difficult. And I guess the the other thing that I will say is that, uh, well, well, first, that Nikki Haley would be dismissed as having no chance based on the polls right now, based on what people like you and I think, you know, the way we think. It's like, no, no one's ever going to elect her. Don't be surprised. Don't make that assumption. You will be shocked at how many of your own friends, family, neighbors would pull a lever for this for this shrieking neocon harpy in a heartbeat over some stupid superficial reason. And there she'll be uh, in the White House. And I would say the same thing goes for Kamala Harris. And I heard this on a podcast, and I can't remember which one it was. I don't listen to that many. It could have been Tom Woods. It could have been um, the Mises, uh, the Rothbard radio. I, I can't remember. Somebody was being interviewed on uh, the Democratic uh, landscape here for president. And what happens if if Joe just doesn't make it? I mean, he could just pass away, you know, not trying to be uh, morbid or anything like that. He's he's obviously a very frail person right now. Um, And 
he could just really not be able to even pull off the um, thin veneer of being president. He, even, even what he's doing now, he might be not be able to pull that off anymore. And the idea that it could be Kamala Harris um, just sounds outlandish to anybody who's watched her speak, listened to her for five minutes, the cackle, the fact that nobody voted for her in her own primary run against Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> and what this analyst was saying was, don't don't even think about it. She will be the nominee if it's not uh, Joe Biden. And he was pretty certain, and, and his reasoning was that she's very popular with uh, black voters. And if you cross them on this, if if you take the first woman vice president and a woman of color and you deny her you know the opportunity to do what every other vice president does which is be the presumptive nominee um then they'll they'll stay home and and vote now um african americans make up about 13% of the population that includes republicans but they vote you know, very high percentage Democrat. And so they make up a much bigger percentage of the Democratic electorate and they cannot afford to lose them. And if they sit on their hands and stay home, they can't afford. So this, this gentleman's argument was that he thinks that, that she's a shoe in. If Joe doesn't make it, it's going to be Kamala. And uh, if Trump doesn't make it, look at the empire wants it to be Nimarada otherwise known as Nikki Haley, her stage name. Uh, that's, that's, that's what the empire wants because she will, you know, she will sign off on every war, every intervention, every drone strike, every, every soft coup, every color revolution, the whole nine yards. She's on board with all of it. She checks all the boxes. Um, and of course, as Hayek predicted, the worst have risen to the top. So um, we could very well have an election where the two um, major party candidates are named Nimrata and Kamala. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be special? <laughs> just give you an idea that, you know, the America you thought you lived in, is just not there anymore. I want to talk about what it um, what it means to love America on a different podcast. So that's coming up. Maybe that'll be next week. I might have an interview next week, so we'll see. And I guess the last comment I'd like to make on that on this upcoming election, Nimrata versus Kamala, is Trump. And I, I, I really have uh, all kinds of mixed feelings about Trump. I mean, when you look at him objectively, he was president. He was a disaster. I mean, Donald Trump is as responsible for lockdowns as any single person in this country. Okay, if he didn't sign the CARES Act, which he campaigned for vociferously and showed no, I mean, he insisted his name be on the checks. If he didn't sign the CARES Act, the lockdowns would have ended the next day. That's a fact. They could not have been imposed without paying the people to stay home. Couldn't have done it. That was the key Yes, his uh, Fauci and the whole um, uh, federal uh, health bureaucracy, 
gave these governors cover to do it by saying this is what we recommend. And of course, those are Trump's people. That's Trump's cabinet that's recommending that, okay? So let's not forget that. He was the boss. He could have told them what to say, and they would have been duty-bound to either follow his orders or resign. But he didn't. He went along with it, and he's out there campaigning that he saved lives with lockdowns. So I don't I don't get why anyone would want him back. And and if you're an immigration hawk, he didn't do anything about that. Uh, if you are, I mean, for me, the only thing that was good about him was his slightly less terrible foreign policy. And I actually said at one point, if he leaves Afghanistan, maybe I will break my 40-year perfect voting record, vote for a Republican or a Democrat, and vote for Donald Trump. But of course, he couldn't even pull that off. He promised to have them home in, by Christmas in 2018, and uh, he didn't even have them home uh, by the time he left office. You know, it was always put off until after he was reelected. Well, guess what? You weren't. So Joe Biden actually got to end the Afghanistan war uh, instead of Donald Trump. So he didn't do anything. He did nothing that people would that that voted for him and who want to vote for him again, think he stands for. I mean, the lockdowns were the ultimate test. And, and, and you can't even say that he was he didn't know better because he came out at the beginning against them. And as soon as the political wind started blowing against what he said, he at the, at the beginning he said, look, you're going to kill a lot of people with, with locking the whole country down as well. Uh, he was talking since then. And then he totally folded like he did every time when the empire yelled at him. When he folded with Afghanistan, he said, we're going to be home by Christmas 2018. He folded. The generals yelled at him. So he, he, he folded. He's a coward. So I don't, I don't get why he's useful, why, why it would be useful to put him back in there. But if, <laughs> if those voters have their way, he'll be back. And, and he would be not as bad as Joe Biden. I, I mean, I, I'm the first one to say that. I don't think there would have been a Ukraine war if Trump was in office uh, in 2022. Now, yes, he did send arms to Ukraine. That's the one I forgot. He went along with the empire on that, um, you know, risking getting us all nuked um, by arming, uh, first of all, by, uh, well, just, no, all he did was send the arms after he had that whole little um, drama about asking um Zelensky to look into Joe the Bidens, but he did send the arms. Uh, so what did he do? Like while he was in there, how how was he good? You know, again, I think he he didn't have his foot on the gas pedal for the empire. He he did seem less inclined to do something new, and I do think that because Biden was in there, that that Zelensky. I don't know if they pressured him or he just had had kind of the State Department's permission to really, really start shelling those eastern provinces in Ukraine. He, he was shelling civilian neighborhoods. Um, I don't think that, that he would have had that sanction from the Trump administration, and therefore I don't think there would have been a Ukraine war, uh, at least while Trump was around. 
and I kind of get the feeling, and of course, this is <laughs> what um, you know a, a neocon would would take and, and run with. I think Putin had a feeling that Trump wasn't as aggressive towards Russia as uh, the rest of the empire is, and of course, you know that feeds into the the uh, delusion that Putin is controlling uh, Trump and and controlled the government while Trump was in office. Um, you know, we want a good relationship with Russia. I've been saying that since 1991, saying, okay, uh, the Soviet Union's gone. Now we're going to have this peace dividend, right? We're going to have peace. We're going to be friends and never get into this situation again. And as the 90s wore on, I was already seeing that, no, no, the empire is going to now try to put its boot on Russia's neck. And that's what they've been doing. Uh, One of the reasons that Putin is in there is that people were fed up with uh, presidents like Yeltsin who just rolled over for the empire and let them, well, you know what happens when uh, someone rolls over. So I don't know what to think about Trump. It It is not lost on me that um, all the right people hate him. Okay, that's very powerful. And I think most people are devoted to him because of that. It's like, if they hate him this much, he's my man. And the only thing I can think of is is Nixon because this is the same thing that happened to Nixon, and it was the two presidencies are so similar um, that. Uh, but while Nixon was in there, he did all kinds of awful things. Spent money like a drunken sailor. He created the EPA. He created OSHA. All this baloney made the government much bigger. Uh, he did make peace with China. That was a good thing. Um, I don't know. I, he was not as bad, I guess, as, as the opponents would have been, um, Nixon. And of course, uh, the fact that they wanted him out, I think with perspective, uh, Nixon looks a lot less terrible than, um, you know, we were all brought up to believe he was, he was immensely popular by the way, like the most popular president in, uh, modern American history. So I think, Trump and Nixon, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crossover there. It's like, do we put him back in just because because the bad people hate him so much? But what about all this crappy stuff he did? I don't know. I don't know what to think about him. Uh, welcome your comments on Trump. Whether, I guess, if if Trump ran against Biden, the lesser of those two evils would be Trump. I mean, that's that's pretty easy. Just because Biden will go along with like just about anything um, where at least, you know, Trump seemed to push back a little, although he, he fumbled on every major ball possession. I don't know. It's very confusing to me. It's like, I, I go back and forth. I'm going back and forth on this podcast and I should probably leave it there, but uh, I guess maybe I'll leave it with this question. If Trump got in there again, what would be different? What would be different? Would, would he push back or would he just fold like he did? I, I, I just can't get past 2020 was the big test. COVID lockdowns were the big test and he failed miserably. So what good is he? You tell me. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by Tom Mullen talks, freedom.com slash support 
and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my Substack. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go to itsthefedstupid.com to download a copy of my free ebook, It's the Fed Stupid. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.